Welcome to Sharp Talk, the regular podcast of eSharp magazine. Go to eSharp.eu for free access to all our podcasts to date. This is Paul Adamson, and I'm in conversation with Michelle Thieu. Michelle Thieu is the Chief Executive of Cruelty Free International. There's lots to talk about, Michelle, but I want to make sure that our listeners know exactly who you are uh, as, the, as the campaign that you've become now uh, throughout your career. You've been campaigning on many different issues for quite some time, if I may say so, but what made you switch your attention to animal welfare and, and in particular, laboratory testing of animals for cosmetics? You're right in that I've always been a campaigner in a sense. So I started campaigning around the issue of children and families, particularly families with disabilities. Um, and then I just have always had a passion for animal protection. So I think it's the kind of issue that comes at you when you're small. So as a child, I was very committed to campaigning on these issues. Went vegetarian when I was very young. Um, and I've always had a passion for it. And I decided that I would turn that passion into my full-time profession, if you like. So around 20 years ago, I transitioned across into campaigning full-time on animal protection and particularly wanted to focus on the issue of animals in laboratories because I think that's a hidden issue. I think it's not something that a lot of people are very aware of. Um, animals themselves are hidden from public view in laboratories. Right. The suffering that they endure is lifelong. They're captive in those environments and it's always something that has motivated me to try and change it. So I moved across to campaigning on animals in laboratories and actually the focus on animals in cosmetics testing because it's very clear if you're on the street and you talk to the public that it's something that people do not find acceptable. So that this was still happening when there were such high levels of public concern, I just felt I needed to do something about it. So you're about to celebrate, as I understand it, this, this fifth anniversary of, of the EU-wide ban. Explain to me um, the significance of this, of this ban. Obviously you're very proud of what you've achieved, but why should people outside your organisation, people who don't maybe think about animal t testing or animal welfare, frankly all the time why why is it such a big deal it's a hugely significant moment because a whole market in the world the European Union as a whole has ended practice that doesn't happen very often so this is a ban the genesis of this goes back decades we first started to look at this issue in the United Kingdom the UK took a very progressive lead at that time to end cosmetics testing on animals listening to public opinion a number of businesses started to come to the forefront who actually were ending cosmetics testing on animals then we took that to the European stage it was a campaign that was two decades in the making and I think it's particularly significant because not only has Europe said we find this practice unacceptable, we've responded to our citizens, we've listened to their voice, but they've also gone a step further and said we want our market to be completely free of animal tested cosmetics. So this milestone is particularly significant not only because of the impact we've had in Europe but also because that started to send a signal internationally and that in a sense is the next phase of our journey. I mean it seems pretty obvious now maybe in 2018 especially amongst the younger generation that this kind of testing should not be allowed uh, but back in the days you say when you began campaign you say it's been a long hard-fought campaign going back many 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 years uh, correct me if I'm wrong but in those days you were you were you were a fighting effect not just the the industry the cosmetics industry which was doing these this, doing this kind of testing but also national regulators right they both both groups had to be convinced about about by your arguments is that is that a fair representation absolutely and I think we've seen a progression of the issue so in a way it's followed a path of 
social justice issues in that the public became very aware of this. We then had to convince people about our arguments. And actually, I think 20 years ago, industry were on a very different side of the fence to us. There were a number of progressive companies that had stepped up, that had entered animal testing. They were known for that. But actually, industry as a whole had not adopted new methods to test products. It was still very much the norm for animals to be used in product testing. So we would go to European institutions and we would be sitting on a different side of the table from industry. Right. They were opposed to the ban in general because they felt it would limit innovation, they would not be able to bring new products onto the market. And actually I think what has happened over those two decades is that those arguments have now shifted. They've shifted because industry has seen that you can produce great products without animal testing. The tide has been changing, but also because we've seen in those two decades the growth of non-animal methods. So now we've always campaigned on the moral argument. It's always been the case that we've done this from an animal protection perspective, but now we've got new techniques, new technologies that mean that actually switching away from animal methods is cheaper, more effective, more reliable, more predictive what will happen in humans. And I think now it's that combination of the morals, the science and the business that got us over the finishing line. But before you got over that finishing line, um, if I remember correctly back in all those years ago, I mean industry would argue they're not here to put their, their cases away. I know they've changed dramatically the, their point of view 20 or, odd years later, but then they would say as part of their arguments surely that, that we, we don't do this because we like to harm animals, we do it because national regulations stipulate that we have to do this kind of testing. Is that a fair argument or was that, was that just a kind of smokescreen? No, I, I think it actually is a fair argument. I think there's a perception that this is about industry that's doing bad things to animals because they simply want to. And actually I've not met anyone in industry in these two decades that tests on animals just out of a whim yeah, or for the because sake of they it, yeah. would like to. Yeah. Um, they're doing it because very often there have been people, less so now, who fervently believe that using animals is the best way and the only way to guarantee human safety. I think science has proven that's not the case. But also there is a genuine argument about whether or not a regulator requires it. If I'm going to put my product onto the market, you have an international regulator that is simply used to traditionally seeing animal testing. That's what they expect industry to provide. It's naturally easier for industry to say, okay, we'll meet the demands of the regulator than to fight that. So in a sense, this has to be a movement that's not just about talking to industry, certifying them as cruelty free like we do with our Leaping Bunny program, getting them to do the right thing, but also we've had to have a dialogue with regulators. You need to get all of the old animal tests taken out of that international regulatory framework and the better non-animal methods inserted in order for industry to have confidence when they put their products on the market. But as you say, it was a long campaign, a hard-fought campaign. Is, was there a, a particular moment, a, a tipping point in effect, when all of a sudden everybody seemed to agree that they had, that there had to be a new way forward, or was it incre incremental change? I think it's been incremental. I think when we started this, there was a lot of 
public concern, but there wasn't necessarily that engagement with industry or regulators. And I think it, you've seen that incremental progress in Europe. So even the ban came in in stages. You know, first of all, we had the confidence to say, we'll end this where there are alternatives. Then we'll end testing regardless of alternatives. Then we'll implement a marketing, marketing ban. So that's come in in stages over time. And I think what's happened is that industry regulators, politicians have become more comfortable with this being the way that we do business. We've now reached the position where there is a settled view in Europe about cosmetics testing that we don't need to use animals. And now industry is not on the opposite side of the table to us very often when we go in to talk about these issues. So it's been a choice for companies whether or not they do it. Now actually they simply can't do it to right. put a product onto the European market. Well, since you mentioned, uh, Michelle, the rest of the world, let's talk then about the future. You hinted at the very beginning of this conversation about your, your, your eyes are now set on a, a possible worldwide ban, is that correct? So what, what's going to happen? You celebrate your fifth anniversary of the EU-wide ban, great. Now what's the future? Well, you have to be ambitious. I'm a campaigner, so you don't rest. Um, so our, what we've been doing, actually, since the European ban came in, is we've been seeing that change in different nations around the world. So increasingly, countries have brought in their own national bans. So we've been working in parliaments right around the world to achieve that change. So India, New Zealand have brought in a ban. Australia is about to bring one in. There's legislation going through in the United States. We've been having conversations in Russia. Um, so actually, nation by nation, people are jumping off from that settled position in oh. Europe and implementing their own national bans. But it would take me more than my lifetime <laughs> to do that country by country. And actually, this is very much a global issue. We're talking about industry that operates internationally, talking about products that are shipped worldwide. So we felt it needed a global solution. So the next stage is to call for a worldwide end. Wow. And we're doing that by trying to get the United Nations to adopt a resolution. Mm. We would like to have a UN resolution to bring an end to cosmetics testing on animals. So that's the next frontier. When we first took this issue to the UN, it felt very much like the early days of taking it to the European yeah, Union. I can imagine it's a bit of a, like a deja vu for you. It, it, it is, and, and even more tricky because, in a sense, the response could be, how do animals fit into the United Nations? Yeah. This is not something that you generally hear the UN discuss. But when you start to actually look at sustainability, sustainable mm. consumption and production, you start to look at that agenda, right. There is a place for animals. So we're now um, at the point where we're being listened to about this being a prospect um, and we're trying to get a UN resolution agreed. We think that will send a political signal internationally that it is not just Europe, it's not just one or two compassionate nations, but the whole world wants to turn their back on this practice. And to what extent do you think that the, 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 the leadership shown by the EU can be a really motivational force? I mean, it, if I may use a uh, sort of a, a parallel example in, in the area of climate change, uh, climate change uh, campaigners um, often say that it, we are, the EU is, is a world leader in, in climate change legislation and initiatives of different kinds. Other people are more cynical, say there's no point in being a leader if people don't follow. But uh, so to, to what extent are you reasonably confident? I know it's relatively, well, I understand it's relatively early stages yet in your global campaign, but how confident are you that you'll be able to, to achieve your aims? We are confident. 
Um, you have to be confident. Yeah. You can't start a campaign and hope to finish it if you're not confident. But actually, I think there's, there's a reason for that. I think the European Union has led the way. But what's been significant is in the five years since the European Union ban, we've seen other countries also step up to the plate. So this is not change that will happen simply because Europe has taken this step. I think the action the European Union has taken, however, is hugely significant because it's such a big cosmetics market. Right. If this was a small market, mm. or if innovation had been damaged, or if there had been issues, mm. then this would be a more difficult argument to make. But actually, we're five years out, the biggest cosmetics market in the world, and it still continues to innovate, and it still continues to grow. Right. So that demonstrates what's possible. But change will come at the UN when we have a family of nations that want to do this. The European Union's important, but so is Brazil, so is India, um, so is China. So there are a range of countries that I think we need to get to the table. So our work there is to bring that coalition together to try and achieve this change. This can't simply be an EU effort. But fortunately, there's been so much progress in the last five years, it doesn't have to be anymore. Uh, thank you very much for your time, Michelle. Thank you.